Doing all right? Anybody a little stressed? Anybody watching the service online a little stressed? I may have some options for you. So uh, reading about something uh, that you might find engaging, you may want to take a little spa trip up to New York State where you can go book a cow session at Mountain Horse Farm. Yes, you can book a session to snuggle with cows. <laughs> the web I'm not kidding you. The website says you can find a connection, get close to the natural world, find peace and quietness. Um, cows, they say, are sentient beings, and so are we, so we can just get to know them. And who's going? I'm sensing some of you are in, but some of you are a little skeptical, so I have another option for you. You can go out to Washington State and try goat yoga. Yes, this is a thing. <laughs> This is not from the onion. This is a real thing. People are traveling, they say, from all over the world to engage in this experience. It's at the Wobbly Ranch in Seattle. Not a shock there. Uh, it, it looks painful to me. Anyone else? But the participants say this is actually great. It's like a deep tissue massage. And so you get the benefits of doing your, you know, your downward dog and goat poop, and the goats get to be with people, and they get to be, hum you know, all that that participation and socialization and I mean who could say no to that I'm not making fun of these things I do have a point to this though I mean you want to bring your emotional support peacock on the flight that's fine you just keep it in your seat and I would more than love to just have this not this but this next one I would love to have this experience on any flight that I'm on anybody else that is welcome on anywhere that I'm at, in my experience. But my question with all this goat yoga and cow therapy and, you know, emotional support animals, and I'm not talking about service animals, please don't, I'm not making fun of anything or anyone. I'm just asking the question, why is it in 2019 that people are turning to animals to do things that in the past traditionally we've turned to other people for? What is it about us that we feel so isolated from other people that we have to do things like this? It was a symptom. One answer is that Americans today are lonely. New research came out from the insurance provider Cigna. It just shows how lonely we are. Of 20,000 Americans that they surveyed, listen to this, half of the respondents said, I feel alone or left out most of the time. Half of all Americans say, yeah, that's me. Uh, over 56%, that's more than half, said that they feel like the people who are actually with them aren't actually with them. You know what I mean? I mean, you're physically there, but I don't really think you're paying attention. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about what Americans feel in general. 40%, two out of every five, or, or what is that? Yeah. Two out of yeah. Say they lack companionship. They feel isolated. They feel like the relationships that they do have aren't meaningful. We got an issue here in American culture. Former Surgeon General Vivek Murtha says that we are the most technologically connected and advanced age in history, and yet, ironically, our loneliness rates are increasing. How is that possible? You can pick up the phone and call anyone anywhere in the world, FaceTime them. You can get on a plane and be anywhere in the world within a day. And what he's saying is there's a lot of factors that go into this. One thing that really has impacted our culture, and I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing, it's just a thing, is that we are more mobile. We can move whenever we want, and we can work from wherever we want, and we do. And what's resulting is, is that as the Census Bureau has tracked this, this is the time in history that people have lived alone more than any other. More Americans live alone now than have ever since we've been tracking this, and maybe ever. And here's another thing that was really fascinating. Dr. Murtha points out, the way we work has changed. Uh, you think about how many people do telecommute from home or wherever 
and we're not getting that face-to-face -face interaction in the office anymore. And then think about how we work in the office because of technology. Used to be, when you wanted to work something out with someone, you got up and went to their cube or their office, right? And you would chat with them, but not anymore. You, well, then there was the stage where, like my grandparents' generation, you pick up the phone and call them. Nobody, who does that now? Like, do, do you not pray to get somebody's voicemail when you call them, if you have to call them? Or, or like at your work, you instant message them or you text them. You just, what we're doing is we're putting increasing levels of layers between us and actual physical interaction. We're not getting the benefits of being in person with people anymore. We're losing all of that. And even a phone call, at least you are getting that voice tone and inflection and a feeling that you're actually in a conversation. So you can have a thousand friends on Facebook. You can have so many followers on Insta. You can have like your LinkedIn is and yet you're still disconnected. It's like um, Dan Colwin, he's a youth expert. He was talking to one teenager, and she said when she puts a post out there on Snapchat, like a story on Snapchat or an Instagram post, she has a certain level that she wants to see in terms of comments and likes, and if she doesn't get that, she goes into a tailspin. Because that's where we're deriving our feeling of connectedness and uh, our circle of community. And that's where we're getting our little surge of I belong, and it's really not how it was intended to be. It's not how we're wired. What I find ironic is, even in a group of this size, here on Sunday morning, or watching this later, uh, I would say that if we were all to be just transparent and just reveal a little bit about what's going on in our lives, if I said, how many of you experienced some of this loneliness and this disconnectedness and feeling like you're just not really there with other people? A lot of us would go, yeah, at some point, I feel that too. Even in a group, we're together alone. And this is a big contributing factor. This is why when we've been talking about the elephant in the room, Loneliness underscores all of it because our disconnection from other people leads to other things like depression. It leads to other things like, at the very extreme of it, one of the topics that's trending on social media is deaths of despair. It comes from loneliness, a lot of that. And our anxiety results from the fact that we just don't have a lot of these connections. Dr. Murtha, the former Surgeon General, says that a lot of our physical problems in our lives and health and mental issues do come from this. It's so bad that if you experience loneliness, it's the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day on your physical health. Think about that. You can smoke or you can have friends or I guess you could smoke more if you have friends. I don't know if that works or not. But uh, if you're interested in the science behind this, when you are isolated from other people, your levels of cortisol shoot up, which then increases, thing, as that flows through your system, you have greater inflammation, which then leads to things like... Um, uh, damage to your tissues, which increases your risk for cancer, heart disease, dementia, anxiety, depression. It's associated with reduced engagement in the workforce. So, so many things that are associated with our well-being just by having some people that you can talk to and be with. And I would have guessed, before I really studied this out, and, and no insult to anybody, but I really would have thought that loneliness is something that increases as you get older. Anybody else kind of have that assumption? And in some ways, that's true, and you just can't help it. I remember when Kirsten and I, I, we might have even still be dating, there was a woman in our church who had literally outlived everyone else. She, she had, like, no family. Do you have any family? No, they, they've all passed away. And any friends? No, they've all passed away. So basically, it was us, a few people in the church who still knew her. She was even stuck in her home. And I just assumed, well, that the loneliest people are the oldest people. And there is a little bit of loneliness with old people, older people, but do you know where it's most prominent? Middle school, high school, college, and 20-somethings. The highest levels of loneliness occur in young people. 
you ought to think about that. If you're a young person, you might, maybe this explains some things that you're experiencing. You never really pegged it to that. Maybe there's some young people in your life that, and just go ahead and cut right to the chase, that you can be the answer and the solution for this. I don't know. I fair to say probably all of us have been lonely at some point, no matter how old you are. It's a human experience, something we all go through. Um, it's, it's something that even people in the biblical times went through. It's just part of human uh, history. It's uh, something like, you might want to listen to this, something even in the Bible in Psalm 25, 16. It says, turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. I'm lonely. I'm afflicted. God, can you turn to me? I need some help here. The man who wrote those words, King David of Israel, the most powerful world leaders of all time. And he's the guy who you would assume, like he's got a bajillion friends. And he says, no, I'm lonely and I'm afflicted. The guy was incredibly great, brave and gifted and talented and likable, good looking. How could he write that? Let me go show you a few things that happened in his life that led to this. If you've got a Bible, you might want to find the the, the book in your Bible called First Samuel it tells the story of David's life. And the thing with David was his problems really started with the thing that David is most known for. Even if you are really new to the Bible, you've probably heard of the expression David and Goliath. So that's where David really made his name. He was a young guy, probably still in his teens, when he showed up at a battle where his older brothers were on the front line. And uh, there was, they were they were in the nation of Israel. They were facing the country or the nation of Philistia. And the Philistines were lined up in battle against them. But the way they were going to fight this battle is the Philistines sent out this giant, nine-foot-tall warrior named Goliath. He came out and he insulted the armies of Israel and he insulted the God that we all worship. And David happened to be there and heard it. And he's like, why is anybody going down to fight this guy? Everybody was afraid to death to fight a nine-foot giant. David said, I'll go. And he did. And if you're familiar with this at all, you know he took five smooth stones. He had a sling that he could whip those rocks away like a gunshot and he went out and he faced Goliath killed him and now he's this war hero still a teenager and so King Saul of Israel recognized talent like that and said you're going to serve me buddy you're you're now part of my team and as soon as he recognized that talent and so David immediately went to work with King Saul and whatever he did as a military leader he was successful so much so that his popularity increased King Saul felt incredibly threatened by that because he was an insecure leader. So as people are singing these songs, Saul has killed his thousands and David's killed his tens of thousands. Saul gets so jealous and insecure that he literally tried to kill David. Two times he threw a spear at him, and the only thing that saved David's life was he had great reflexes. He got out of the way instead of being pinned to a wall. So if you were to go to 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 1 and 2, it says, Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, they were best friends, told David what his father was planning. So 1 Samuel 22, 1 says this, So David left Gath, and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. Just put yourself there for a second. What would it be like to know that the most powerful person in your nation wants you dead and has put a price on your head and there are people out there who are doing his bidding, trying to find you, and you're in a cave, it's pitch black, and you don't know if the noise you hear is just an animal or if it's an assassin coming in to kill you. What must that have been like for him? 
we don't have to guess what David felt because David was a prolific songwriter and prayer writer. He wrote a lot of what we call the Psalms in the Bible, and he wrote a Psalm about this experience. If you were to go to Psalm 142 now, so I'll give you a little pro tip here if you're newer to the Bible. If you've got one of these and you turn to the middle of your Bible, you're probably already in Psalms, so you can just look like you knew where it was. Look, I found Psalm 142. So I, I want you to notice something. At the very top of this Psalm before it starts, do you see the header there? A Psalm of David, a prayer, a song regarding his experience in the cave, a prayer. Let me just read this to you, and I want you to envision a young man sitting in a cave fearing for his life. I cry out to the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints before him, and I tell him all my troubles, and I'm overwhelmed. You, God, alone know the way I should turn. Wherever I go, my enemies have set traps for me. I look for somebody to come and help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. No one will help me. No one cares a bit what happens to me. Then I pray to you, O Lord. I say, you are my place of refuge. You are all I really want in life. Hear my cry, for I'm very low. Rescue me from my persecutors, for they're too strong for me. Bring me out of prison so that I can thank you. The godly will crowd around me, for you are good to me. Now, stay here for a little bit and go ahead and keep it open in your Bible or your Bible app, because this is really a good picture of what the cycle of despair and loneliness looks like. He's really walked through all of his emotions in one succinct song. And it really, I don't know about you, but it makes me feel better to know that other people have experienced what I've experienced in my life, to see him going through that. I'm like, yeah, I'm not the only one who's ever felt like that. Look at, like, in verse 3, how he describes his emotional state and what's going on in his life. In verse 3, he says, I'm overwhelmed. I'm not sure what to do next. Uh, I'm disoriented. Verse 4, I feel like I've been abandoned. Nobody cares. They've rejected me. They've deserted me. Verse 6, just hit rock bottom. He looks depressed. He looks defeated. Such vivid pictures of what isolation will do to a person, right? What might come into your life to make you feel this way? Here in 2019, maybe for you, it's just like so many of us, that you've assumed all of your online connections and your friendships and catching up with people every so often has been enough. And maybe if you were really honest with yourself and God, you'd realize that that's not necessarily the case, that you really are suffering because you're not as connected as you thought you were. I don't know, maybe for you, you're new to this area. You're trying to make connections, and that's hard. And trust me, <laughs> I've been young and I've been old, and the older we get, the harder it is to make friends. I don't know why that is. It shouldn't be that way. When we were little kids. Like, if you say, you want to be friends? Sure, we're friends. That's it. It doesn't work that way when you're getting older. It should, but it doesn't, right? Maybe for you, it's a health issue, and you literally find yourself spending more time at the dentist or the doctor or whatever than you do at school or at work, and like that's just sucking up all your free time, and you don't feel like you've got any energy left for relationships. Maybe um, you, there's been a divorce or a breakup in your life, and that's just, you find yourself single again, and wow, that's, that's big. Maybe it's a new job. There's so many things that can lead us to feel disconnected and isolated, is all I'm saying. And, and I have good news for you. It's not just that David says, let's all just sit in a circle and feel sorry for ourselves. He not only tells us how he felt, he really tells us how he dealt with it personally. And I find great advice and comfort in that. So, he was, so how honest he was in his experience should be a, a help to us. Like, the first thing I just take away from what David did, and this would be good advice for us, and you can write this down, give honest, prayerful expression to all of your emotions. All of them. There are some things that, I don't know why, but we feel like maybe we shouldn't bring before God. But there's something healing 
just to express to God exactly what it is. Like, God, this is what's going on. Uh, if you're thinking about it and you're worried about it and you don't know what to do about it, you should be talking to God about it. It's not like you're going to have to get it polished up before you give it to him in a prayer. He doesn't expect that. You wouldn't do that with your parents or your friends. God's big enough to handle your painfully honest prayers, to give full expression to the stuff that you really are not sure you should say. You know, you hold back that last 10%, as Bill Hybels used to say. I'm not going to say everything because I'm not sure it should go all the way there. Just go ahead and lay it all on the line and put it out there before him. Let me give you an example of this from a person in our time. Joseph Bailey wrote a book called Psalms of My Life, and he talked about, he wrote a psalm himself or just an honest prayer, I guess you'd call it, about uh, traveling for business he said this, Dear God, I'm alone tonight, all alone, a thousand miles from home. There's no one here who knows my name except the hotel clerk, and he spelled my name wrong. There's no one to eat dinner with. There's no one to laugh at my jokes, no one to listen to my gripes, no one to be happy about what happened today and say, oh, that's great. No one cares. There's just this lousy bed and the slush in the streets, and I feel sorry for myself, and I have plenty of good reason to. Maybe I ought to say I'm on top of it. Praise the Lord. Things are great, but they're not. Tonight, it's all grace slush. That's a painfully honest prayer, and that's, I think, what God's looking for from us, just to be real. And you might be thinking, but eh, should a person really talk to God like that? Well, I don't know. David talked to God like that, and his stuff made it into the Bible, so I think it's all right. You know? And think about this, too. Do you think God doesn't already know what you're thinking? Is it going to be a shock to him that you feel a little disappointed with him? Like he's just, oh, I didn't know that you felt that way. Okay, well, I didn't just say something soon. Would you not be this honest with your parents who love you? Would you not be this honest with your best friend? Why would you not then be this honest and open with your heavenly Father who loves you, cares about you, knows what you need even before you ask it? If you're living with loneliness and despair, you ought to be talking to him about it. It's okay. That's a start. And here's some more things that I pick up from David. When you are praying and you're being honest with your emotion, just give God the credit that he does already know what you're saying and what you're telling him which is so cool to realize. Like, I, I like how David said it. When I'm overwhelmed, you alone know the way I should turn. First of all, I'm, God, I'm just acknowledging that you already know how I feel, but I'm telling you anyway, and what I'm telling you is not new information. It's not like you're going to pray something and God's going like, wow, I'm glad you pointed that out because I kind of missed that, so I'll get right on that. Isn't it easier to tell somebody hard things when you kind of know they already know? God already knows. It's not new information to him. And he actually has some ideas for you. Let me show you something that Jesus said. This is in Matthew chapter 6. This is so cool. And Jesus said, you know, when you pray, don't babble on and on like the people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered because they repeat their words again and again. And that's not how you do it. Don't be like them because your heavenly father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. To which you might be going... Okay, so if, if God already knows what I'm going to ask him before I ask him, why am I even asking? Why am I praying? Exactly. You feel like, well, I didn't, Brian, you didn't answer my question. What, do you, what if when we're praying to God, there is more to praying to God than just giving him our laundry list? What if there is more to prayer than just telling him, here's what I need you to accomplish for me today? What if part of that prayer is being honest and telling God, here's where I'm at in my life, and because God is saying, I'm so glad you talked to me about this because I want to walk through this with you. I don't want to just be the person you turn to and you just turn it over to me and walk away again. I want to share every moment of your life with you. And if you're going to be lonely for the next little while, 
I'm going to be there with you, and I'm going to give you the grace to get through it. And you're maybe even going to learn some things through this time that you would never have learned any other way but that had you gone through this. I would say this, too. When you're praying this prayer, give some thought to what God has already done for you. David did that, too. Like in verse 5, he said, God, you're my place of refuge. You're all I really want in life. And if you think about it, just picture like a, a graph of what David's cycle has looked like. He starts down here. It's so bad. I'm in a cave, and there's people who want to kill me, and nobody cares about me. But now as he's gone through this prayer, it's like he's kind of pushed those problems off to the side, and they're over there now, and God is at the center, and he's like, okay, God, I see you. I remember what you've done in my life before, and yeah, that's a thing, but I'm going to be okay, because I remember that you've helped other people in this situation. You've been there for me in my life, and uh, the problems begin to fade, and you can do that. You can remember that God is faithful, and I would just say that remembering in gratitude what God has done for you has just so much power to give you hope that there's more to come in your life. Like, you could be this close to a new friendship, and you don't know. So maybe just go ahead and choose to give God gratitude and thanks for what he's already doing that you're unaware of. And then there's one last thing here at the end of the psalm. He says in verse 7, Bring me out of prison, bring me out of the cave, so that I can thank you. The godly will crowd around me, for you're so good to me. And you see what David has done. He, and here's the thing I think about. It took him, I don't know how long to write this psalm, but in that, it's like the first four verses. Everything's really awful, but then you get to the positive of verse seven. And I just wonder if sometimes we need to go through verses one through four so that we can get to verse seven. Think about something Rick Cromie, he's a, just a person I've respected for a long time. He said this, he wrote this little poem. He said, poverty teaches me to trust. Shame forces me to kneel. Loss leads me to remember. Woundings guide me to forgive. And loneliness encourages me to connect. It's true. Joy comes in the morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. So David went in the cave. I didn't finish the story. So if you were to go back to Second Sam, or 1 Samuel 22, uh, he's in the cave. And he was there long enough to write the psalm, but he didn't stay alone. So it says in verse 1, David left Gath. He escaped to the cave of Adullam. Soon his brothers and all his other relatives joined him there. Then others began coming, men who were in trouble or in debt or were just discontented till David was a captain of about 400 men. He started alone, but he didn't end alone. Things are starting to look up for him. It's no wonder David wrote a different psalm, and he said in Psalm 68, 6, God places the lonely in families. Isn't that right? He sets the prisoners free. He gives them joy. He makes the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. I just love that, that God puts lonely people in families. Maybe it's our family. Love that story, Elisa. Maybe it's the sparrow's nest and the ministry they've got, that God just sees people who are disconnected when they reach out to him. He says, I got this covered. Andy Ryan posted this on social media. He says, I was in a park as a kid. This lady loudly called out, anyone want an ice cream? Come on over. So he said, I just headed over with everybody else, and I was waiting my turn to get my ice cream. And I got up to this lady, and she said, who are you? And then I realized everyone else that had went over there was in her family. 30 years later, he said, I still cringe over that. It's like, hey, you want a family? Just pick somebody at the park. I don't know that God wants to answer your prayer like that, but can I give you a few, just in my last minute or two here, practical ideas for how you can come out of that cave of loneliness? First thing I would say is do what David said, and what we've been talking about, get honest with God about your loneliness and your need for a greater connection. And then here's another idea. This is so simple. Get here early and stay late. Go out in the foyer and talk to people. Go into the living room and ask somebody to pray with you or for you. Uh, 
I am an introvert, and, I, and no shock to any of you, I think I express more words right now than I do for the whole rest of the week. And I'll give you an insight for those of you who are extroverts and you're like, you think you know what I'm about. Introvert doesn't mean I don't like people. It just means my battery goes down to red as the longer I'm with you all. Whereas my wife comes home and she's been with a bunch of people and her battery's at 100% and I'm at red and she's at 100 and she wants to talk more. But it doesn't mean I don't like you. However, I'm an introvert and I am shy. So I've got both those things going against me. So... As an introverted, shy person, I appreciate those of you who are willing to engage in conversation. Because I've got, in my mind, I've got like three conversational tennis balls. And I throw one to you, and I ask you a question. If you just hold on to it, I got two more, and then I'm done. <laughs> so, I, I think there are probably other people in our church who would appreciate some of you who are a little more extroverted. Or if you're an introvert, just willing to take that risk and talk to somebody you don't know. Let's do this, then help each other feel more connected. Here's another idea. Get into a group. This is... A fantastic time to do that. Get into a life group. This is an on-ramp time where you go into group. The study's just starting. A lot of people are going to be new there. You can make some connections. I, many years ago, I was um, in charge of small groups at a very large church. We had a campaign, and I had a stack of over a thousand cards of people who wanted to be put into a group that fall. And I had about a hundred and some group leaders. And I did, there's no way I knew all those people. So here's what we did, team. We just took the cards, and we tried to figure out where people live, and we kind of looked, and we were like, oh, this person's handwriting looks like this leader's handwriting. That'll be a good match, so I'm just putting these groups together. It was about a month later, I went into DQ, and there was this group, 10, 15 people, they pulled tables together, and they were having a blast. And I just looked over at that group and then went on, and somebody said, hey, Brian, and I realized, I know that, that's one of my group leaders. And then I looked at the group, and here was my first thought, honestly. Who put that group together? They don't go together at all. There's like, there's a couple of teenagers, and there's a, just a range of ages, and blue collar and white collar. They were having a blast. They had just gone to a nursing home to serve together as a group, and they were just having a, an awesome time. And I realized God can bring anyone together if we're just open. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He creates these connections. So, and you're missing out if you're not getting into a group here. Second service, we have a, a Connect Bible study going on right back there in the forum. Here's their chance. It's so easy. Just stay here instead of going home. It's raining anyway. Who wants to go out into that? So get into a group. Get onto a team serving. That's a great way to get your mind off yourself when you're serving other people. Serve your connection. Serve in your neighborhood. And I need to say this. If you're not in God's family, today would be a great day to do that. If you sat here and you couldn't take communion because you've not said yes to Jesus, why not do something about that today? We would love to help you do that. I'm going to pray right now. Our band's going to come out, and, and we're going to have a song. I want you to be thinking about what is that next step that God wants you to take, to take yourself out of isolation and to feel like I'm really a part of what's going on in the world and in God's world. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you that you do take the lonely and you place us into families. I thank you that you have invited us to be part of your family that despite all the things that we've done wrong, so many ways that we've created our own problems, that you still want us to be your sons and daughters, your children. Will you help us to say yes to that love that you offer us? Will you help us to say yes to the healing? Will you help us to just have the courage to be open and honest with somebody about what we're experiencing? I ask all this in Jesus' name.